0: Paul runs the PowerPoint slides Sunday mornings for worship and the sermon notes. Chris, thank you so much for all the help you give here at FFM. Come and see me, bro, and I'll get you a gift card for the Cross Culture Cafe. If you would like your announcement to be placed on FFM News on this video segment, please email us at ffmnews96 at gmail.com today. Well, church family, that's all we have for this week's segment of FFM News. Thanks for watching and have a great week. right, so if you will, put that uh, on your social media so everybody knows what's going on this week. There's a lot happening, Um, and so we're excited to be involved. I need you to turn with me uh, in your Bibles um, to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to move you very quickly through a couple of scriptures. Uh, They're basically going to say the same thing, but I want to give us a premise for where they start. So this is Maximizing Our Marriage Part 5, and I'm going to be honest. We've given you some tools. How many of you ever used a tool? Uh, Let's say, guys, you ever use a wrench and the wrench slip off and boom, you you scrape your knuckle. Anybody ever do that? Like you just peel the bark right off of it, right? Like boom. Um, Sometimes you can have the tools and use the tools and it can still sting a little bit. I'm not going to apologize. Today, today's message is going to sting a little bit. I've been nice for four weeks. This topic is worth sobriety. Help me, church. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let me... Read to you real quickly. You can jot the reference down. If you have the notes up in front of you. You can put them there also. Ephesians chapter 5. Notice Paul. Quotes the same scripture. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother. And be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. But in verse 32. Watch what Paul does. He says this. Is a great mystery. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said I'm gonna say this right up from the start. I want you to I want you to I have premised this, it's gonna sting a little today, but we need some sobriety in this context. We need some sobriety in this subject. Let me say this to you right away marriage is always urgent. Y'all not helping me. We got to take communion after this. So marriage is always urgent. I'm going to say this. Never has there ever been a generation whose view of marriage was high enough. The space between the biblical vision of marriage and the human vision of marriage is a huge chasm. It's a huge space. Some some cultures, some cultures, I'm going to give you this, in history, uh, they respect it more. uh, They respect marriage and, and the preeminence of marriage a whole lot more than others. And some, like our own culture into the world that we live in today, I believe they have a low casual, leave it, or take it attitude towards marriage. And therefore, our biblical vision... Of marriage can seem ludicrous to some but we continue to say we as believers especially in this last day must have a biblical view of the world we need to see the world through the scripture and not see the scripture through the world you look at the, you try to look at the scripture from a world's perspective you will never see the urgency of anything in the scripture as a matter of fact you will see the scripture as irrelevant as archaic and outdated. And so we've got to see marriage through the scripture. Hello, somebody. Now, I'm going to shock you this morning because I want, you to re- I want to read to you a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. But as I read you this conversation, I want you to picture this scene in your mind. Jesus and his disciples are sitting around... And the Pharisees come, the scripture says, to test or try and trap, trap Jesus. And they use the subject of marriage and divorce. And the disciples are not involved in this conversation at all. They're just listening until the very end. And now because we highlight the subtext above the scripture, we often get a Skewed viewed of what the scripture is actually implying. And so in Matthew chapter 19, I want you to turn there. And we're going to start at verse 1. And I want to show you Jesus' view of marriage. Just as we get started. Here Jesus is going to give us a glimpse of, the, of his incredible view of marriage. The thing that God willed from his pe- for his people from the beginning. And I want you to listen to what the disciples respond to after this. Can I read it to you? Now it came to pass. You see the sub the subtitle above this scripture in Matthew chapter nineteen. What does it say? Yours might say marriage and divorce or or uh, divorce. Right? Let's talk about it. Come on, somebody. You got your Bibles? Can I? Can I? Can I? inspire you and encourage you that as someone who studies the scripture the numbers and the chapters and the subheadings they are not anointed it's the word that's anointed those things are put into scripture to help us have quick reference to them now watch this Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him testing him. And saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? If she burnt the toast if she didn't have dinner ready on time come on can can a husband cuz right and he answered and said to them notice jesus is not interested in talking about divorce he said have you not read That he who made them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer one flesh. Watch Jesus add something to Genesis. The only person who could. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. The word was God. And then the word dwelt. Jesus adds something that is not found in Genesis and not found in Ephesians. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Jesus added something. The only person who could add something to scripture. Come on. Come on. And they said to him. Listen. Jesus is not interested in talking about divorce. He wants to talk about his value. How he views marriage. And they said to him. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce. To put her away. And he said to them. Moses because of the hardness of your hearts. Permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning. It was not so. I want to talk about marriage. I don't want to talk about divorce. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And notice all of a sudden, now this conversation is over and his disciples are standing there going, holy man. Notice what they say to Jesus. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. You know what, his disciples, they heard this whole conversation between the Pharisees and, and Jesus. And they heard Jesus' view, his value of marriage. They watched him get tested by these guys who were looking for any excuse. Any reason. And they wanted to blame God and Moses for it. And Jesus was having none of it. He said, let me tell you about my view of marriage. You've heard uh, that the two, man leaves his father, man leaves his mother, right? They become one. But let me tell you how I value it. Therefore, what God has put together, let no man. That's my value of it. And the disciples gasp and they say to Jesus, Jesus, if that is your view of marriage, it would be better for us to not get married than to screw it up. And you know what Jesus says in verse 11 and 12? Yep. Are you kidding me? Christ's vision of the meaning of marriage was so enormously different from everybody, including his own disciples, that they couldn't even imagine in that moment that it would be a good thing. Because if we screw it up, I'm just real talking with you today. Hello, somebody. And if that's the case back then, how much more will the magnificence of marriage and the mind of God seem unintelligible to the world that you and I live in today? Because why? Because the world we live in is a world where the main idol is self and the main doctrine is independence. Somebody say amen. The world we live in is the central act of worship. is being entertained. And the two shrines of entertainment, television and the cinemas. And the most sacred attraction in those two shrines is the uninhibited Perversion of sexual intercourse. Y'all, I told you. So it's no wonder that in a culture where we find that the glory of marriage in the mind of Jesus would shock us. And I believe that Jesus would say the same thing to us today. Because in verse 11 and 12, watch this. He says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Jesus, if that's your view of marriage, it'd be better for us to not get married instead of just play casually with it. And Jesus says, yes. 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 Ho, 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 ho. I've given you Jesus' view of it. It's right there. You cannot deny it. You can't deny it. It's right there. It's in the Scripture. I'm going to encourage you to do away with the subheading that leads you to some other kind of conversation. And understand what was happening here. Jesus was expressing his value of marriage. But there's always been a biblical view of marriage. And so I I start with the assumption that our own sin and our selfishness and the culture that we live in creates an atmosphere where it's no wonder that we cannot see the marvel, the majesty, and the magnificence of marriage. That we don't understand God's purpose in marriage between a man and a woman. Between a man and a woman. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. We've been having about 800 people around here on Sunday mornings. We might have 200 next week. But I'm going to say it. The fact that we live in a society that can even conceive, let alone defend, two men or two women entering into a relationship and call it marriage shows the collapse of our culture is on the brink. If you don't like that, you watch what happens. We think that's no big deal, but as soon as you allow those barriers to cross, the next barriers is parents, they're gonna remove the age of accountability. And a 70 year old man's gonna come for your 10 year old daughter, and there's a thing you can do about it. Watch what happens. Because, see, we allow the biblical definition of something to be perverted. Perversion never stops. Well, I'm preaching on Pastor Appreciation Day today. The chaos in our culture is because we have removed standards that help us understand how life functions so that we can express, live, and experience the abundant life that Jesus wanted us to have. And I mentioned this in hopes that it might possibly wake us up to consider the vision of marriage. The greatest glory of marriage is beyond our ability to think and feel without divine revelation from the Holy Spirit. The world cannot know what marriage is without learning it from God. Do you understand? It's part of the creative creation process. You can no longer move no, you can no more remove marriage from the created process than you can remove the sun in the sky. It's part of it. Remove the sun out of creation. We all die. Remove the moon. We all die. Remove the stars in the cosmos. We all die. The Bible, the psalmist tells us that everything in the created universe was placed in a proper order to support life on earth. And if anything in the created cosmos is out of order, life on earth ceased to exist. And we wonder we can play willy-nilly, casually with marriage, something that is also part of the created process. And think we can live. Pastor Don's preaching this morning. I'm helping you. I'm helping you. I pray this series sets us free from small, worldly, culturally, con- uh, culturally contaminated, self centered, Christ ignoring, God neglecting, romance intoxicated, unbiblical views of marriage. Oh, marriage is a display of God, church. Somebody say amen. It's God on display. It's God's doing. It's an incredible thing. The most fundamental thing we see from the Bible about marriage is that it is God's doing. It belongs to the Lord. It's the most ultimate thing. Functionally, it's God's doing. Ultimately, it's God's display. Let me, let me, let me walk you through this quickly because we got to go. Let's start with there. Marriage is God's doing. Most fundamentally, marriage is God's doing. Let me give you four four ways to just wrap your mind around this. It was God's design. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 uh, and 28, God created man in his own image, in his image. God created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It is God, not man, who decrees that man's solitude is not good. Adam had no fathom. He had no understanding. He couldn't fathom being alone. He just knew he couldn't relate to all of other creation. But it wasn't Adam who came to God and said, hey, you know what? I'm a little bored around here. It was God who came and said, oh, That's not good. No. So I'm going to make for him a help meet. Please, please do not come up to Pastor Don and say, Help mate. Ladies, you're not a breed cow. God had a specific purpose for Adam to accomplish. In all of creation and God looked at Adam and said he needs someone to help him do that you're a helper help come on someone don't miss the central all important statement that God himself will make a being so perfectly suited for Adam and his purpose And he brings that being to Adam and says to Adam, Hey, man, you know how much I love you? And he pushes a naked woman out from behind the bush. (laughs) Wow. I told you you to read your Bible like I do. Instantly, she gets a name. Not, I mean, it was Adam's job to name everybody. It was Adam's job to name everything. Wasn't that his job? He had to name everything. God says, Hey, Adam, I love you this much. How much you love me, God? He pushes a naked woman out from behind the bush. And uh, what does Adam do? Whoa, man! That'll be her name. Woman. Trying to help you out because I got a feeling I'm going to get some emails later. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I, I'm, I'm premised in the word of God. I'm a big enough man. You know, just this week, I was at the gym Saturday and someone came up to me. I, never even, I don't even know this person. Come up to me and said, Pastor Don, why would that person say those things about you? Probably because I took a stand right here. And I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Why would that person post those things on social media about you? Because they just got a miserable life. I'm okay. Marriage is for God's glory. See, a glimpse into the magnificence of marriage comes from seeing in God's word that God himself is the great doer. Come on. Marriage is his doing. It is from Him. And through him, that is the most functional thing we can say about marriage. It's for his glory. Oh, my goodness. Watch this. In verse 21... And 22, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. He, he slept, he took a rib out of the flesh, and, and, and he brought woman to God. And instantly, I love this story, Adam recognizes it. Not because he'd ever met her before, or not because God was, gave him any privy. Do you understand? God didn't even privy him to his plan. But God, Adam recognized her. Why? What did he say? That's flesh of my flesh. That's bone of my bone. I know that. So this text terminates in verse 24 and 25, and it says, They shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. In other words, everything's moving towards marriage. So the first thing to say about marriage is being God's doing, is that marriage was his design in creating male and female. The second thing I want you to honor, it was God who gave the first wife away. In our culture, it, is, it is, is something of an honor for a father to bring his, his daughter to the altar. to give a, Who gives this man to be married, or this woman to be married to this man? And the father will usually say, her mother and I, I. I'm the authority in her life up to this point. And now, as her father, I'm recognizing that God is shifting the authority, and I bless it. Marriage is God's doing because he personally took the dignity of being the first father to give away a bride. He didn't hide her or make Adam play hide and seek to find her or even earn her. He made her and he brought her to Adam. A profound sense that he had fathered her. And now though she was by by virtue his creation... He's giving her to the man in an absolute new kind of relationship called marriage that was unlike any other relationship in all of creation. There was no other one. Sure, animals had mates. Sure, all the creation functioned in a way that would reproduce itself. But marriage is not just about reproduction. Be fruitful and multiply is one of the commands. But that's not just about having a bunch of babies. That was about expressing who God was into all of creation. Multiply my presence on the earth. There was no other relationship like this. All because a father gave away a bride. God spoke the design of marriage into existence. Hello, somebody. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother... And hold fast to his wife and they should become one flesh. Who's talking here? Who's talking here? The writer of Genesis. Well, obviously, we understand and know now that the writer of Genesis was Moses. Luke confirms that to us. Listen carefully. Listen carefully again in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said, Have you not read? That he, God, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, Note, God said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus says something that Genesis chapter 24 doesn't. Therefore what God has put together, let no man. Wow. It's God's design. It's the word of God affirming the doing of God. And we take it so casually. Come on, for years they've been talking to us about how creation is failing. Some years ago on the front of Time magazine, what was it? The coming next ice age. And now all they talk to us about is, you know, global war or whatever you want to call it now. Climate change. Can I help you out? I agree with climate change. I do. 100%. The earth experienced a global catastrophe during Noah's flood. And that was not too far ago. And the grand scream of creation... The earth is still healing from a global catastrophe. Of course things are changing. Of course. It's not that complicated. But see, because I'm a creationist, then I'm frowned upon. Watch this. But see, as a creationist, I have to value marriage. Because, well, listen, God performs the one flesh thing that no man can do. That leads us here to this moment. Watch this man and woman become one flesh, man and woman become one flesh, man and woman become one flesh. See, verse 24 is God's word of institution. But just as God was. God who took woman from the flesh of man. It's God who in each marriage ordains and performs the uniting and calling one flesh. It's not man's power to, to do it or destroy it. The, the implicit part here in Genesis 24, uh, 2.24 is that Jesus is saying something incredibly powerful. And even in Mark chapter 10 verse 8 and 9. He's quoting Genesis 2. And he says, the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Again, in Mark's gospel, we see that Mark adds the point that Jesus added to Genesis. Something they had never thought about before. When a couple speaks their vows and consummates their vows in sexual union... It's not man or woman or pastor or parent who's the main actor. It's God. God joins husband and woman into one. God does that. God does that. The world doesn't know this. Which is one of the reasons why marriage is treated so casually. Even in the church. Christians often act like they don't know it, which is one of the main reasons in the church that it's not seen as wonderful as it is, and is one of the main reasons why tomorrow I will get a boatload of stupid emails that are just going to go straight into the garbage. You can't argue with me over this. Because you're not arguing with me, you're arguing with this. And this has the final say. I'm I'm not your punching bag. Go to God. He wrote it, I'm just doing the reporting. But here's where I'm at. In the sum, the most functional thing we can say about marriage is that it was God's doing. It was His doing because it was His design and creation. Because He personally gave away the bride. Because He spoke the design of marriage into existence. Leave parents, cleave to wife, become one flesh. And because this one flesh union is established by God in each marriage. And So a glimpse into the magnificence of marriage comes from seeing God's word that God Himself is the great doer. Now, I know, married people, when you're fighting with each other and when your marriage is not healthy and you're struggling, I know what you're saying. (laughs) Where is God? I get it. But the enemy has been trying to destroy God's creation from the beginning. Why would you think that any part of God's creative process would still not be under attack, including marriage? There's a devil loose! Can I close with this thought process and I know we got to go and you got the notes. If I don't get through it all, I'm sorry. But marriage is for God's glory. The most ultimate thing we see in the Bible about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. Marriage is the designed by God to display his glory in a way that no other event or institution can. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one. What kind of relationship is this? Help me out, church. I mean, how, how are these two people held together? Can can they walk away from this relationship? Can they go from one spouse to the next? I, I, is this relationship rooted in romance, sexual desire, a need for companionship, or just cultural conviction? What is this? What holds it together? i got lots of questions. But I'm so glad that he's got lots of answers. There's a mystery that Paul talks about. Hold fast to his wife. Become one flesh. It points to something deeper and more permanent. Come on. What these words point to is marriage that is sacred, rooted, and... In covenant. And that's the commitment that holds us together in the storms. And that gives us the power to say, so long as we both shall live. Mm. But that is only implicit here, it becomes explicit when the mystery of marriage is more fully revealed. Mm. Genesis 2.24, Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one. Verse 32 in Ephesians, this is a mystery. Watch what Paul says. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. In other words, marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant commitment to his church. Jesus saw himself as the bridegroom coming for his bride. Paul knew his ministry was to gather the bride. The people who were betrothed to the bridegroom. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, watch what Paul says here because of that. I feel divinely jealous for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Oh! Christ knew he was going to have to pay a dowry. His blood, is life. I've got married people all the time who come to me and say, I'll die for my spouse. You won't even live for them. Come in here talking about taking a bullet for somebody you won't live for? Stop it. If you won't live for them, the moment death is on the table, you Run. The moment struggle is on the table, you run. The moment trial is on the table. The moment temptation is on the table. The moment all that, if you're not living for them, don't profess to die for them. Marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant. Watch this. He called the relationship the new covenant. This is the cup. Poured out for you the new covenant in my blood. Church, that's called communion. This is what Paul is referring to when he said that marriage is a great mystery. Watch this. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. Christ obtained the church by his blood and formed a new covenant with her. It's called an unbreakable marriage. The ultimate thing we can say about marriage is this. I'll have the ushers come. Because I know we need to... Marriage exists for God's glory. Marriage exists to display God to a lost and dying world. Marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship with his church. And therefore, the highest meaning... And the most ultimate purpose of marriage... Is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display. That's what your marriage does. It preaches the gospel to a lost and dying world. Boom. Biscuit. This is why marriage exists. If you are married. That is why you are married. Can I say this? Come on guys. You can come and pass out the elements please. Um, will you stand with me? You know what I'm most happy about this sermon today? Is the fact That I am reassured more than ever that Christ will never leave his wife. Mm. Staying married, therefore, you can go ahead and pass out the elements, please. It's not about staying in love. Staying married is not about staying in love. We, we already dealt with this issue of falling in love. You don't fall in love. It's not like you slipped and fell. And so therefore you don't fall out of love either. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't fall in love with me. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't trip at the cross and not go and fall out of love with me. Staying married, it's about keeping covenant till death do us part, as long as we both shall live. It's a sacred covenant promise, the same kind that Jesus made with his bride when he died for her And so, therefore, what makes divorce so horrific in God's eyes is not merely that it involves breaking covenant to the spouse, but it involves misrepresenting Christ and his covenant. Christ will never leave his wife. Ever! There may be times of painful distance. Somebody say amen. There may be times of tragic backsliding on our part. Somebody say amen. But Christ keeps his covenant. Yeah. Marriage is a display of that. And that's the most ultimate thing I can say about it. i, I got so much more to say. I really do. I, I, I love preaching on this topic. And to me, six weeks a year is not even enough. I love Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked... And we're not ashamed. Why does the biblical story of the foundation of marriage. End on that note just before the fall. The answer. Will lead us at least I think. To some very practical counsel. That I pray will help us in our marriages. Fulfill God's great purpose For now in this moment We have received elements Thank you And let's take that other mic And I'll have uh, Let's see Rod and Tim are here Rod and Tim Why don't you come to the stage Now every fifth Sunday We take communion together that gives us four times a year to just take communion and together. But you're not limited to that. Husbands, I told you last week, you're the priest of your home. You really want to work through forgiveness with you and your wife. You want to put things away that, you know, and be done with it. You, when you have to work through forgiveness in your marriage, and you've done that, take communion together. Husbands, you can lead your wife in communion. And therefore, what is under the blood is under the blood. And you will not believe the healing power in that expression. There are people who have been wounded so deeply in marriage from abuse, neglect, unfaithfulness, that in a moment like that, where the blood of Jesus Christ is applied and the significance of an element of worship, We you pray with me? We pray that God will replace in the church and in our land self-exalting, marriage-destroying, unbiblical commitments that cater to our emotions and our desires? That He'll replace those things with Christ-exalting, marriage-honoring, biblical commitments to keep our covenants so that we, as a people, just preach the gospel with our marriages. So, Father, we pray over this word today. We thank you for it. Bless it, Lord. Let it be a seed in our heart. We pray, God, that it will produce in us, Lord, the fruit you desire, especially in our marriages. And Everyone said? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you hold up the element this morning as we take uh, communion together, not only as a fellowship of believers, but as married people? And I'm going to have Pastor Rod pray over the bread. Father, as we take this symbol of your body broken for us on the cross, we want to never forget the sacrifice you made for us. So today, Father, we thank you. We ask you to continue to keep us mindful that each and every day as we remember what you did for us on the cross. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. I say this a lot. And I don't want to continue to say it because I, I want us to walk in the revelation of it. It may seem elemental or super familiar with it. You may say, well, Pastor Don, I'm always going to say this at communion. But in Deuteronomy, you were strictly forbidden to drink blood. Because people knew this. Because the pagans practiced that ritual. If you wanted to be strong like a bear, you drank the blood of a bear. Fast like a deer, you would drink the blood of a deer. Whatever you wanted, you would drink the blood of that. And so God said that's a pagan practice. You're not allowed to practice it. They believed, the pagans believed, that if they drank the blood of something, they became just like it. And so in a Jewish mind... That would be one of the greatest heresies, one of the greatest things you were not supposed to do. And then at the supper, Jesus holds up a cup and he says, This is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. Every one of those men had to be saying, We can't do that. We can't do that. You, God has forbid us to drink blood. Because if we drink blood, Jesus, if we drink your blood, we'll be just like. So in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Will you hold it up as Pastor Tim prays? God, thank you. Thank you for your blood that was shed. No longer is it the blood of goats or of, uh, of any other animal, God, but you gave the ultimate sacrifice, your blood that washes us clean. Thank you, God, for that in your name. Let's partake. The Bible says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Can I pray over us? Father in this place today. We have set. In your presence and worship. We have set under your word. The authority. Of who you are. And how you express yourself. And Lord. We have partaken. Of communion. All in reference God. To your great gift of marriage. And so today I pray an incredible blessing that the view of marriage in our hearts will change. And God, when we see things differently, I pray that some of the struggles that we see as unrecoverable or unovercomable, God, simply because we changed our view, we'd see your hand and the miracle working power. I pray a blessing. Over our marriages in this communion service in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Come on, turn around and tell your neighbor, hey, marriage is urgent.